Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the world, your weekly celebration of all things New Jersey. And I'm very excited about this week's episode. And I think you're going to love it. It has a lot going for it. It's it's special in a couple ways. Before I get to that, I just want to say thanks to everybody who's been signing up at patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. The discussions over there are always really great regarding the episodes. We were happy to bring you the bonus episode of things we are hap- happy and thankful for in New Jersey for Thanksgiving. And our, our New Jersey things we're thankful for episode. I was proud to rant about Hall Line, which is of course the WSOU radio post show that plays after every Seton Hall Pirates men's basketball game where locals from the area call up and rant about not just basketball but nonsense and it's one of my favorite things and thanks to everybody in general who signs up over there at patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world really does mean a lot we are thankful for each and every one of you we're also thankful for everybody who's ever bought a t-shirt at below the slash Chris Gethard guess what everybody we got news below the collar.com is shutting down they are shutting down the entire site uh and uh january 2nd so if you're looking to get t-shirts now's the time to do it if you want to get t-shirts for christmas presents for your family i'm going to go ahead recommend that you do it sooner rather than later because with the site shutting down the first week of january i have no idea if there's going to be you know, production delays or supply chain issues. Who's to say? I trust not because Below the Collar has always been a really great company. But just in case in their dying days, things slow down. If you're like, oh, maybe my friend or my brother, whoever really wants one of those, what would Bruce do t-shirts? Now's the time to go get them because site is shutting down. And I don't know. We have talked literally zero about our backup plan. I have a friend who runs a t-shirt thing. He'll probably help us out. I hope he might. But also, maybe we don't need to sell t-shirts. I don't know. It's not like we are paying our rent off the t-shirt sales, so maybe we'll just let them go. We haven't really decided yet. But either way, belowthecollar.com slash chrisgethard. That's going to be an operation until just after the new year. But if you're looking to get any of those t-shirts as gifts for loved ones, now's the time to do it because the site is closing down. And thanks to our friends up below the collar who have supported us over the years. Now, this week's episode, I am so psyched for you to hear it. So a lot of you out there might be aware of Peter Candia. He writes for the New Jersey Digest. He writes a lot of stuff. Um, His primary focus is on the culinary world here in New Jersey. It's not all he does, but it's what we were going to talk about. He reached out to me um, and said, hey, I don't know if you know my stuff, but I just published a list of the best 40 pizzas in New Jersey. And I said, not only am I aware of that, I've read your list of best pizzas and I've read a lot of your stuff. And he's really great. His perspective on New Jersey food is really great. And I knew that this had to be an episode of Jersey Dude Reviews Jersey Food. So Don Finelli is here. And guess what? This is not a bit both of them separately told me that they've remembered an encounter with the other one years ago. And it's fair to say that this was a real bromance that was born many years ago. And, um, and we get into it full disclosure. We never even get around to talking about the best pizzas list. So first of all, follow Peter Candia on um, social, Instagram, out there crushing it. 
go to the digest the nj digest has a lot of great stuff and his writing uh, is all over it in particular is really really great go read all his stuff obviously and check out that pizza list why not go read the article about how the mafia's um handle on cheese distribution affects all of our diets more than we know he writes a lot of cool stuff but most of all enjoy hearing him and don tell the story of how they met many moons ago and then you will hear a conversation that goes in so many different directions about food with two people who love food so much. Uh, we talk a lot about Chef Robbie Felice and his influence. We talk about how in general in dining, there is a push against the sort of stuffy feeling of dress codes in upper tier restaurants and how in Jersey in particular, that's something that... Um, you see showing up more and more we talk about all sorts of stuff different ethnic pockets of new jersey and, and their contributions to the culinary tradition to the state different ways that the highbrow and lowbrow mix together different ways that the the influence of our nearby cities affect us but how we still hold our own in separate fashion the sentence i could talk about collingswood for an hour and a half is said in this episode so I know Andrea's going to be happy to hear that, South Jersey representation. Anyway, it's just a really great conversation, and I tried to stay out of the way because Don and Peter had so much to say to each other, about each other, and about food, and about New Jersey food in particular. It's a great conversation. Enjoy it, everybody. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here, and I'm so excited to be with my friend, the Jersey dude who loves Jersey food himself. It is Don Finelli. Don, how are you? Stuffed. We're recording this on Black Friday, we should say. Yeah, I am stuffed up, man. You went hard? I went hard, man. I, uh, we had family friends in from Jersey, so I wanted to do it upright. And uh, every year I kind of do the whole Thanksgiving meal. I just kind of put it all on my shoulders, prep, you know, two days, three days in advance, 48-hour dry brown. Brian, I go fucking bonkers. And uh, yeah, it turned out pretty well. No, uh, no mishaps. Oh, I burned my whole hand, but besides that, that was okay. Oh, so outside of one huge mishap, no mishaps. Um, yeah, that's it. There was a text thread. You know, the New Jersey is the world text thread. There were some pictures going around. Mike sent around a picture of his antipast. <laughs> and then you started showing yours and how you have to have items for the non-Italians. For the Medigans, yeah. And it was like... Yeah, it was like brie, you know, like Mary's organic crackers, you know, like shit like that. Yeah. You got to put out a little... You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta serve the wider folk. You know what I mean? Now, Mike's mom. There have been times where I've been at their house, and she has referred to me as Medigon. Mm -hmm. And how much is that playful, and how much is that a real insult when that gets thrown around? It's like fifty-fifty. I mean, you should, you sh once you understand it, you should be a little offended. Uh, but it's mostly, it's mostly like Italians don't want to. They don't want to do anything extra. They like just want to cook their meal. They don't want to gluten allergy. Like all that shit is like, oh Christ, you know. Like yeah. it's a big. It's not like, oh man, let's make our guest guests feel as comfortable as possible. It's like, no, we're gonna do what we're gonna do. It's gonna be great, and you better enjoy it. Now, Don, <laughs> so, I fear because I'm somebody who will eat a brie. Yeah, with a fancy cracker. I'm a little worried because you've Same, you've taught me a lot sure. about the lingo here. To be both a Metagon 
and a moto de farm with those specific items, is that just like yeah. really scraping the bottom of the goddamn barrel? Yeah, you're out. You'll never be <laughs> you'll never be asked back. <laughs> I do know that Mike's mom likes you're me, toast. but there's been enough comments where I'm like, oh, I'm yeah, I'm legit. She's like, he's fake Essex County, this guy. Yeah. Anyway, Don, we can yeah. talk all day. But luckily, we have a guest who's here to talk with us. And yep. I want to get into something that's actually amazing to me, which is that you have met before and you both remember it and both brought it up to me separately without me prompting it. I was going <laughs> to surprise you. With it. So joining us today, he's the food writer for the New Jersey Digest, does great stuff. I've been following him on Instagram for a long time and reading all his stuff and it's legit great and real. I want to get into your writing style too, because real like, um, it feels like salt of the earth writing in the sense of like, Hey, if you're jumping in the car to look for the good shit, I can tell you where the good shit is. And that's the tone. Peter Candio, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. Um, I sort of sent you a message asking if you wanted to have me on and I was, uh, shocked. You said yes. So instantly so yeah was, uh, so thank you for that i'm a fan <laughs> i will say i will say and i think you'll be happy to hear this so we've interviewed a number of journalists sports journalists political journalists and yes food journalists from new jersey throughout the history of the show and jeremy schneider from you know the ledger and nj.com has become a pal mm-hmm. and a real friend of the show i did reach out to him i was like is this cool with you is this because you've been on a bunch before and he was like you're a fucking psycho He's like, I love, yeah, Peter writes great shit. Go have fun. I was like, well, it's Jersey. We've got to do things the right way. we got to have the past, got to have the past guests out there. So just so you know, there's no beef there. I was like, if we're going to awesome. have, have the young hip food writer from NJ.com and the young hip writer from the Digest, I better get the clearance on that. So it's all, it's all peace, turns out. Awesome. Good to, good to, yeah. good to hear. Yeah. Two good dudes who write good shit. Now let's get into this bromance because Peter, you actually brought it up to me first. You said you had listened to the show and you were like feeling like you knew Don from somewhere and then you placed it. And then Don, you later told me, we actually, we were going to record this a couple of days ago and Don, you were yep. like, no, I have to be there. Yep. Do you guys want to explain this this night you had together that neither of you ever forgot. <laughs> uh, I remember it like yesterday. Yeah. Wow. Really? Are you being for real? <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. I know. I really do. I actually am the same way. I'm at 100% being for real. Where it was, uh, uh, Peter was a waiter at uh, Osteria uh, Crescendo, and you know any uh, Robbie Felice place we were gonna hit up. So to backtrack, my wife and I. And my sister and brother-in-law, every year we go out to dinner for Christmas, like during the Christmas times, usually after Christmas. And just to have like a night away from kids and connect again. And so they live pretty close uh, to Westwood. um, And we were staying with my folks at that point in River Edge. So it was just a great meeting point. We wanted to go to a great restaurant. (laughs) Peter was our waiter there. This was, you have to remember... I, I don't remember exactly how many years ago. I want to say like four or five, something like that. But if it was if it was before Christmas, it was twenty nineteen. If it was after Christmas, it was twenty twenty. 
So I don't remember exactly if it was before or after. 2019. Then It was 2019 then. Then it was, yeah, because yep. uh, Crescendo opened in 2019 and it was shortly after. I mean, I worked there until... That's exactly what happened. ...COVID, so... And then I started working yeah. again after, but we can get into that. But um, it was definitely before COVID. It had just opened. Yep. I, I remember it was pretty pretty new, uh, which is, was like, oh, another... Probably, you know, we were like, let's do it. But yeah, <laughs> Peter was our waiter that night at this amazing restaurant and it was the first and only time I immediately started following my waiter on Instagram. The experience was my sister and brother-in-law still talk about it. Like my wife and I've mentioned it before of how like knowledgeable he was like how just into fucking food he was. (laughs) We were like picking his brain about stuff. Like, he was very, very, he knew everything, but was also had like very clear opinions on things and kind of like his writing. It was, it was, it was, we were getting all the, the early, uh, uh, the early moments there. So that was my memory of it, of just like having this amazing evening being like, this dude knows every, like just, and I remember you mentioned, cause I was like, I ask a lot of questions. Um, I think when I, when I go out to dinner, like my wife's always like, can you not like try to talk to fucking everybody? <laughs> and, you know, but I'm like, so interested because he was so interesting and, and so interested and knowledgeable that then we found out, I was like, Oh wait, you went to like, I, I, I think you even told us you went to like culinary school at that yeah. point and like had worked the lines and stuff like that. So I was like, Oh man, dude, what a crazy. And I, I think you even were talking about writing back then too. If my memory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is- so I started working at Crescendo the day it opened. Um, and basically the way it happened was I had gone to Viaggio, Robbie's first restaurant, Robbie Felice's first restaurant mm-hmm. in Wayne for the very first time, um, November 5th, 2018. And um, I remember the date specifically because it was my brother's birthday. But um, I had just graduated culinary school, CIA. Um, the not the Central Intelligence Agency, the Culinary Institute of America, <laughs> um, in the prior May, May of 2018, and um, basically what happened was I, I was working front of house now. Um, I wasn't working back of house anymore, and I wanted to be a writer. And um, so I went to Viaggio for my brother's birthday. And basically, what happened was there was an item on the menu. Uh, it was a bronzino al cartoccio, which is basically a fancy way of saying that it's cooked in parchment paper. So um, my brother asked me what that was, my older brother, and um, I, you know, I explained it to him. And the waiter walking by, his name is Lewis. He's still with the company to this day. Um, one of the greatest people I've ever met. He walks by. He's a young kid. He's my age at the time. And he goes, how the fuck did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like, I'm not very, um, when I was serving, I mean, Don will know, like I would be a little more open for people to people about that. But when I'm eating, like, I'm not trying to be that asshole, like, mm-hmm. like that, like, Oh, I know all this stuff, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I got a little red and, and he was like, no, seriously, like how, how do you know that? He's like, it took me like months to like, remember, be able to like, remember how to explain that to guests. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I was like, I, I went to culinary school. I worked in a restaurant that used to have, you know, a version of this on the menu and funny, uh, funny stories that actually me and Robbie both worked for the same restaurant group in New York at different times. Um, he's older than me, but mm-hmm. so like a lot of the food that I learned to cook there is a lot of the food that appears on his menus. So that's why I took a real liking to his restaurants originally. And basically what happened was Lewis goes into the kitchen 
Um, Robbie's a little less of a big deal at this time. And um, he goes, this kid in the dining room just fucking schooled me. And the next thing you know, <laughs> the next thing you know, they're sending out all this shit. And, you know, they're bombarding. Like to try to stump you? No, no. They're just. Oh, they're like, you're. They, they were trying to appreciate it. They were trying to poach. No, they were trying to poach me. We're down. And um, oh, and they start gotcha. bombarding me with food. And then the manager comes over, Tommy Voter, another great person still with the company. Greatest boss I ever had. Um except for my current boss. And um, he comes over to me and uh, he comes over to me and he's basically like, what, you know, what do you do? Do you cook? Do you serve? You know, like, what do you do? And I was like, uh, I serve and bartend. Now I'm really into, you know, cocktails and all this stuff. He goes, do you want to serve here? And I said, no, <laughs> I don't know why I said no. And then um, I end up going back in a month later. They remember me. They bombard me with food again. They send me truffles, all this shit. And you know, same thing. You want to work here? Like, oh, I have a really easy serving job right now. I'm making good money, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> a month later, I go back and then they go, okay. They go, we're opening a new restaurant in March. It's going to have a liquor license. We know you like to bartend. We want you like on the opening team. And I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, I started working there and, and Robbie and Tommy and everyone knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um, so they would let me, you know, have fun with tables and they would let me kind of, um, flex some of those chops a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, a little side note, um, not to go too far into it, but, um, I have a progressive muscle disease. So, um, and I was diagnosed really young. Uh, what I have is called limb girdle muscular dystrophy and, um, it doesn't start affecting you until like early adulthood usually, but it's random. It could be like 15 years old. It could be like 30 years old. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I was diagnosed in 2006, a long, long time ago. And, um, it wasn't affecting me when it came time for college and I always, always wanted to cook. So I wasn't going to let, you know, this thing that wasn't affecting me yet, like alter my life decisions. So I went to CIA still and it, um, it started affecting me when I was 19 years old in 2017. Uh. I was working on the line in New York at the time. And, um, basically I was like, okay, well I have one year left at CIA. It's only two years. I was like, let me finish out CIA. And then I was still able to, basically what happens is you, it's, it's very slowly progressing, but you slowly become more disabled. Mm. And, um, at the time I was still, you know, able-bodied. I could still work in restaurants. I could hide it too. That was the biggest thing. Cause I was very embarrassed yeah. by it for a long time, but I could hide it. And, um, so I basically was like, okay, I'm going to graduate CIA. The last thing you do at CIA is you don't cook, you work front of house. Mm. And I really loved front of house and, um, I, I never done it before. And I, and I realized that's when I really realized that I could write because I was like, Oh, I can, a lot of cooks can't talk to people. That's just, you know, mm -hmm. that's just how it is. And a lot of people choose that profession because they don't have to talk to people. You're not front facing. And, um, I always liked to talk to people and I always liked to, um, I, I love food. So I like to talk about it. And, um, so I switched to front of house and I was for two reasons. One, I was like, maybe it'll be a little easier on my body. That's not the case at all. Um, and then two, I was like, if I'm going to write about food, then I better do every fucking job in a restaurant, mm -hmm. you know? So I've done, I've mm -hmm. been a line cook, let me serve now and let me bartend. And that's, so that's what I did. And, um, I didn't end up leaving restaurants officially until 2022, um, much past when I should have been in restaurants still. Um, but yeah, so it's a long short of how I 
ended up at Crescendo serving your table, Don. Crazy. That's a hell of an origin story. That's- and I'll, I'll also say, Peter's being nice. Don, I, he, I, he did give me the heads up. He remembered you also. You were on the verge of moving to LA, I believe, and were nervous about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so the, no, no, no. That couldn't be that case. I think no, we I were think maybe in moving. LA. Maybe in LA. I was definitely yeah. in LA, but maybe there was some sort of thing going on. There's always, every year, you know, there's something <laughs> that's like, should I do this? Should I not do this? But well, it sounds like, it, um, it sounds like a, a conversation that was more connected and emotional than most, <laughs> um, most restaurant experiences usually are if both of you are remembering it four years later. Well, so, so listen, I'm not, um, when I serve, I, I love serving. I love, I love everything about restaurants. And, um, if it were up to me, that's what, that's what I would be doing. And, uh, but I, I'm not an idiot, you know, like I'm not going to bombard the first date table with, you know, the history of some stupid mussels dish that's at Crescendo and how it's actually from some small town in the South of Italy or like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, if people don't express an interest to me, like I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not gonna do it. But when you but get Don the here sense of his eyes, you're like, yeah, he wants he, to know what village, what block in southern me, Italy. He gave me, he gave me the eyes, you know, which to me says, you know, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. talk about this, talk about this menu to me. That's my way. Um, so I did. I love it. And uh, when I, I loved it. When I started listening to your show, because I have friends that are very big fans of yours, and they put me onto the show. When I started listening to it. And you introduced Don. I thought to myself, I said, you know, this guy sounds very familiar. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, a name like Don Finelli, I know like fucking 30 people with a name that's like one <laughs> one letter off of that, you know? I literally went to high school with a guy named Dan Finelli. So literally one, okay. one yeah. letter yep. off of it. Yep. But so I'm like, maybe I'm just, you know, jumbling it up. I'm a from Cedar removed. Grove. Yep. I'm from Cedar Grove. So everyone's uh-huh. Italian. Um, myself mm-hmm. included. And I'm like, maybe I'm jumbling it up. But then I really thought about it. And I was like, this was the fucking guy table 31, uh, <laughs> December, 2019. And it, cl- it all clicked at once. And it was after I had already messaged you, uh, Chris. So that's when it, Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It was not our first interaction. It was you following up. We had, we had messaged a few times about stuff and then you were like, Hey, I just realized something. I'm like 99% certain that I met Don yeah. at a Robbie Felice restaurant that I was working at at the time. Yeah. and Which I also have to say this too. I've never been to, so Peter, in case you don't know my background, Don is like obviously Mr. Food mm-hmm. I, and you grew up in Cedar Grove, so you will get it. I grew up down the hill in West Orange, down in like the Jimmy Buff Star Tavern neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I have a very much insecurity about going to places that I view as fancy and I'm trying to get over that. I am trying to get over that. Uh, and I think Robbie walks that line and it's probably heading like pasta ramen feels fancier to me based on description than Viaggio, which is legendarily the one that it's like, it's really great fancy Italian food, but Hey, it's still in a strip mall in Wayne, right? Like that's, that's kind of the, the bullet point there. What makes Robbie's concepts so good. And um, you'll see this across a lot of New Jersey in this sphere of cooking where it's very modern. It's very, um, you know, for lack of a better word, chefy is that we're kind of past the days. We're not past the days of formal dining, but I mean, it's definitely different now. All the best restaurants, in my opinion, are the ones where you don't, there's no, dress codes are bullshit. You know, things like that are, 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 are stupid. And um, Robbie's restaurants are fancy in terms of what is served to you, but 
the the atmosphere, the way that you know the servers talk to you. It's very casual and it's very conversational, and um, it's designed in a way that you're just supposed to be comfortable eating there. So I would not, I honestly personally wouldn't refer to any of his restaurants as fancy beyond the food. Um, I mean, I wear hoodies when I go there, so <laughs> like it doesn't, uh, <laughs> it really doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I think that's what makes his food so great. But to to speak to your point of you know the West, the Star Taverns and the Jimmy Buffs. I mean, I love eating at all restaurants, but if I had to choose, I would be eating at you know Star Tavern and Rut's Hut every day. Yeah, those are those are my favorite. Those no frills kinds of joints. Those are without a doubt my favorite. Um, type of restaurant, even like this is a little fancier, but it was still in its own light, a no frills joint, like pal's cabin back in the day, you know, like now you're speaking my language. That was, I, I did an article for <laughs> just a couple months ago about the history of pal's cabin. And it's like such an institution <laughs> that I, I grew up going to. And, um, it was just stripped away from yeah, me, but Don, you know, you that, could, you could have a five star dinner there or you can sit at the bar and have a burger. So that's like, to me, those are the coolest New Jersey restaurants and we're we're abundant in those. It's a CVS now, which sucks. The fact that they knocked it down sucks. The <laughs> it fact sucks. that it's a CVS makes it so suck. It's always a banker, a CVS, oh, baby. It makes it suck a hundred times more. And I would actually say that growing up, there was an argument to be made that the whole divide, the down the hill, up the hill divide of West Orange Pal's Cabin was probably the point where one crossed over to the other, but where everybody felt well. Absolutely. You could view that, you could view that as a fancy place to go out for like a real fancy dinner after a high school graduation or some accomplishment. You got a promotion at work. You could put on, you know, nice clothes. It is also a place that their lunch menu, you could go and get the French onion soup and a burger and let your guard down and that felt like the ultimate synthesis of, of the two halves of West Orange. So to hear you name drop that, we are now officially <laughs> friends. I want to ask you, I want to follow up. So when you're saying, you know, that the, the idea of formal dining has, uh, has changed and shifted and that, of course, because I felt it big time. I was convinced to go to Heirloom Kitchen in, uh, not the one in Asbury Park, which I hear is actually fancier, Old Bridge. The one in, uh, and in Old I was Bridge. really, really struck because yeah. I do. I have, I have fucking anxiety about everything. I, I, you know, classic North Jersey Irish Catholic who just, you know, let's be honest, every Irish Catholic of a certain generation is just worried about people looking at me like I'm white trash, you know, like mm -hmm. that whole insecurity. I went there. I was like, man, they, clearly go out of their way for everybody to make it known that on your way in the door, they're psyched to have you there. Come sit, drinks, food, let's get talking. Let's everybody let your guard down. And I could feel it. Do you feel like that is a movement across the board within in food as a whole? Or is is that something that Jersey is specifically known for? Either answer is fine. I'm just really interested. Um, it's absolutely food as a, as a whole. And first of all, I mean, Heirloom Kitchen's an amazing restaurant. Um, Dave Vienna, the chef, and, and Neely Robinson, the co-owners, and uh, they're like super hospitable. And and all three of their restaurants are, are amazing. And they're all like that, where they're very casual in atmosphere, but the food is anything but. Um, but yes, so I would say it's food as a whole. Um, it, there was a time where if you were going to a restaurant that had food that was written about, then you were wearing at the very least a, a button down and, and you were wearing sneakers. and dress shoes. Yeah. And, um, I think that we are so lucky that that has changed. Um, there is nothing worse than dining at a restaurant when you are physically uncomfortable. 
And I'm not saying that dressing up is physically uncomfortable, but some people don't like, I'm, I'm skinny as hell. So I don't like dressing up. It makes me look too slim. So I like to wear, you know, the, the stuff that I'm comfortable in. I like to wear, you know, t-shirts or, 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 or polos or whatever, but I don't want to, I don't want to have to like dress up to fit into this box where they're yeah. then going to accept me through the door. I want them to accept me through the door because I'm spending money at their restaurant. Right. So I hate country clubs. Yeah. Right. Like that country club feel, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you have to kind of but, I mean, do what they want you to do. Look at, look at 11 Madison park in New York. So they were the great, they were the best restaurant in the world in 2017. And they're consistently on the list of the top 50 restaurants in the world. And, um, they don't have a dress code. Most people there do wear a shirt and tie or, or something of that nature, but they don't have a dress code because hospitality is not about telling people how to dress. It's about making them have a good time, making them feel like they're welcome. So I, I, I don't know. I think that when you tell people how to dress to eat at your restaurant, I think it's like you're already off on a, on a crazy foot. Not to say that it's bad. There are amazing restaurants with dress codes and those are more of the timeless ones that have always had one. But in my opinion, if you're opening a restaurant today and trying to put a dress code in it, uh, what, yeah, not gonna. what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah, not going to work. I just ate yesterday, Thanksgiving. We decided last minute we're going to a restaurant because we only had my mother-in-law coming over and my wife and son and I are vegetarians. And we're like, As she comes over. She can't have turkey. It's kind of a bummer. Then we have to do a million dishes still. So the only place, it was like three or four days out, we found a reservation at Red Horse by David Burke. Mm -hmm. It's like the only place within spitting distance of us. And David Burke, to me, I'm like, that's a fancy, that guy's like, his name is on his restaurants and he's got like seven or eight of them. It's fancy. But we went, I mean, it was the Thanksgiving meal, but they were every, everybody who came up was joking with my four-year-old. Every, like he had his own water. Obviously we brought the four-year-old's water with him and the the waiter's mm -hmm. leans down. And he's like, excuse me, young man, uh, we're going to have to charge you a corkage fee for that. And my son Cal was like mm -hmm. looking back at me like, what the fuck is a corkage fee? And I'm like, they're joking <laughs> with the kid. David Burke himself came and walked through. I was like, oh, that's, I, I didn't even think he would be here. He's got so many restaurants. I mean, it did feel welcoming in its own way, even though that's, I mean, that's, that's in the lobby of an old school hotel in Bernardsville. Like that has a lot yeah. of trappings that should make it feel unwelcoming. And I felt very welcome. Mm -hmm. Maybe the fact that it was the family Thanksgiving meal helped me let my guard down a little bit and was part of the gimmick, but I could even feel it there. It's probably like front of house stuff though. Like I think growing up that wasn't as important. And I think it's all about thought. And I think a lot of these places, a lot of these modern places, Robbie's places, especially I never felt like I shouldn't be there. It felt like there was equal thought put into what food we're serving as to what the experience of the patron is going to be. Whereas when we were growing up, maybe you're just going to diners, you know, like you have the, what do you want? You know, like there's just no, there wasn't as much thought up front of house. And if there was thought up front of house, it was so buttoned up. So there was an exclusivity feeling. Whereas now that there feels like a almost 50 50 some of the best places it feels like 50 50 and hospitality in front of us is just as important which i think growing up wouldn't make sense to maybe restaurant tours at the time or you know the best always did it the best but i feel like on the smaller scale the local scale the you know burb scale that it was like food put out the best food or it there wasn't as much thought about hospitality where because it seems counterintuitive. They're coming here to eat, so let's make good food for them mm -hmm. to eat and get them the fuck out and then bring other people in to 
you know, let's like have the turnaround real quick. Whereas you're seeing now, not only is there thought in the food. So Robbie Felice's place are the best. It's like, it's like borderline. It's still approachable. Like, but you're going to maybe have to talk to the waiter to go like, what exactly is this mean? Um, so if that's the fine line, some, I think sometimes people sit down, they go, Oh, I don't even know what the hell any of this stuff is. So there could be a divide there, mm-hmm. but a uh, hopefully it opens up conversations to have with you. It's almost like a built in, uh, um, device to have a conversation with front of house to have a conversation with your waiter so they can talk about the food passionately or <laughs> maybe never people don't do it as passionately as Peter did but to just at least open up that conversation so like I think some of the best places that I've eaten at you see the thought not only in the quality of food or the story of the food like there's usually a story behind the meal but also the person telling it too, which is why I remember that night so much and why I like Diageo and uh, those types of places where you go like, I still feel welcomed here. Not only that, like shit, man, they're putting a lot of thought behind what they're doing. Even the cocktails. Like I feel like we talked, was, was that the cocktail with like fucking beef fat in it or some shit? Yes. Are you kidding? <laughs> so we used to, well, this is what I remember, Chris. Like, are you kidding? You both remember this? I swear to God. I bet Pete. Yes. Did you design this fucking cocktail? No, I did. I did not. But, um, it is basically, uh, Robbie does a, uh, a dry, a dry aging program at um, all of his restaurants where he serves a lot of dry aged meat. And when Crescendo opened, one of our like staple items was a was a dry aged tomahawk ribeye. That was a it was a mainstay on the menu. It ended up not being a mainstay later on, and just being run as special because it wasn't ordered enough, or we would run out of it or whatever. But at the time, it was a mainstay, and that was what Robbie was really pushing for the dry aged steaks to be what put Crescendo on the map. What ended up putting Crescendo on the map was just really good, consistent food. But um, so basically, they had a lot of leftover dry aged beef fat and what we would do with it was we would render it down to a liquid and then um there's a technique in cocktails called fat washing so you see this a lot with butter or like brown butter people do with so basically what you do is you heat a fat any fat up to its liquid form and then you pour it into a spirit um and then you freeze it and what happens was is the alcohol doesn't freeze the puck of fat rises to the top and it takes with it some impurities from the alcohol. It mellows out the overall alcohol. It gives the alcohol a different mouthfeel, but none of the fat stays in the cocktail because you take it out of the freezer and you can remove the entire puck of fat right off the top. So we started doing that with dry aged beef fat at Crescendo. Um, We would infuse bourbon uh, with dry aged beef fat. And then it was as simple as just making an old fashioned from there, Demerara sugar, uh, bitters and then an orange twist and a lemon twist and um it wasn't a cocktail that was for everybody but it didn't taste like steak it didn't taste like beef it tasted like a crispy cream glazed donut actually that's, that's it. how it tasted yep. ridiculous i remember it man like i remembered it just now like just talking about it i was like wait a second i remember me and my brother-in-law going fucking nuts 
having this dry. I pre- I'm pretty sure we had the steak that night too. You probably did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did too, and it was like mind blowing. I don't remember what I don't remember what you ordered. You probably, if you took my advice, you probably ordered the mussels because I used to tell people that that was my favorite dish on the menu. Yes. Um. Yep. But mm-hmm. uh, what I used to, what you said before is so true. Is that it, it's completely by design. I mean, we want you to not know what things are on the menu because we want you to interact with the with the server. I used to tell tables right away. I would say, I don't want you. I don't want to see you googling what anything is or or translating anything. <laughs> that like that is my job. And uh, please ask me. Like please let me let me guide you through this because. I, I was good at it, so I wanted to show it off. You know, really, that's yes, that's what it was. That's huge, though, too, because I don't think a lot of waiters do that. Because I go, I know seeing something on a menu, I, I go, all right, I don't under, I don't get some of this shit. I don't. I'm Italian. I don't know what this pasta is. Like, I never heard of this before. Dude, you're going deep into like certain areas of Italy that I'm just like, I don't know. So I know it opens a conversation, I'm, but I'm always like, I don't think sometimes the okay joints don't make you feel okay asking. So you are going to Google to have someone come up to you and go, totally. no need to Google, happy to have the combo. I have recommendations, but you tell me what you're into and we'll work together. It, the, to me, like this is that's what was so memorable about the experience. Like there was an immediate, like, this is going to be a dialogue. And it's just the type of person I am. I'm just so inquisitive and I just love, I love food so much that mm-hmm. if someone loves food more than me, I'm going to sit back and shut up and listen uh, to learn. I had a weird. And that's, that's. No, go good. Sorry. That's just so important because like the most annoying thing, literally, literally the most annoying thing in the world um, is, is when you're explaining something to a guest and they cut you off because they already know what it is. Right. Um, uh, to this day, if I'm at a restaurant and a guest starts explaining something to me, like I don't, when I go to restaurants, I don't announce that I'm a food writer. I, I, I go to restaurants to eat as a mm-hmm. customer eats. And, um, right. if it were up to me, no one ever knows who I am, which for the most part is true. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if a, if a server is explaining to me what something that I already know what it is, is. I'm shutting the fuck up and listening because that's their job. Yeah. That's what there might be something I actually don't know. And that's what I want like, them to do. I go like, yeah, I know exactly. So if you're like, yeah. if you're, right. if you're like the experienced eater and, and you're cutting off a server because they're explaining <laughs> something you already know, we hate you. So I think you should know that. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of this knowledge and how it gets passed on, this segues nicely into a question I have because you write for New Jersey Digest focus on Jersey food, obviously. And I want to talk about some of the specific articles, but before we get to those, I want to ask about how you view your job as a writer, because you've got to know about all the Robbie Felices, the heirloom kitchens, the David Burke restaurants, what Jockey Hollow's up to, right? You got to know about that level. You have to know about the Star Tavern and Rut's Hut, as mentioned, and Kinchley's and Reservoir Tavern. And and you got to know about all that working class food that's been there for decades. And uh, you got to know about which groups of recent immigrants are establishing culinary pathways, like famously Edison right now has a huge swing of South Asian food, right? Mm-hmm. Patterson, Middle Eastern food. This is, and I'm sure up and down the state. You've also got 
the city influence that always shows up in Montclair. We grew up right there, you and I, Peter, but also now in Maplewood and even Bloomfield. And then yep. South Jersey has its version of that with all the Philly spillover into Haddon Heights and Haddonfield and Collingswood. And I was, I was at a brewery in Hamilton. Doing I could talk about Collingswood for an hour and a half, Wait, by the way. Listen, that's what this show is for. <laughs> Point being, being a New Jersey food writer is not a simple thing, right? That's You have to know who the chefs are that are breaking off from the Manhattan places that are finding their foothold in Jersey because the real estate's a little cheaper and the spotlight's a little less bright. You've got to know who just moved to this country you know, a year or two ago and is establishing their first business, getting it up and running and bringing food that's super authentic to their, their where they moved from. You've got to know which towns are shifting. I would have to imagine in some ways... Food-wise, you need to know which towns are shifting culturally and politically in certain directions. And it's, yeah, a, totally. it's a strange state to cover. I want to hear about your philosophy on all that. And probably one of the most important questions I can ask someone who does what you do. When you see Jersey as this amalgamation of all these different things, right? Working class all the way up to the upper class. Places that have been here, you know, there's that restaurant in Mendham, the Black Horse, that's been here since before the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Then you've got places like Dr. Fruit and Patterson that I've become obsessed with that place. And it's only been here a couple of years. You've got all these places. Is there anything that's uniquely New Jersey or is the New Jersey food culture about smashing together old school, new school, immigrant, entrenched multi-generations here? How do you view New Jersey in a culinary sense? Um, I view... I view New Jersey as the greatest culinary state in the country. And I'm not saying that to be crass. I, I, I genuinely, genuinely mean that. Um, I'm not here to say that it's more culturally significant than, than New York City. What I am to say is that as a state as a whole versus New York State as a whole or California as a whole, New Jersey is small enough and densely populated enough. And like you said, a culmination of all of these different cultures melting together where there is just good food every single block in New Jersey. I mean, you can never, there is nowhere in New Jersey where you can drive more than 15 minutes without being able to find something good to eat, a bagel shop at the very least, a, a slice of pizza. Even if it's the, even if it's a bad slice of pizza in New Jersey terms, it's still a good slice of pizza. You know, so like something like that. But the things that are uniquely New Jersey are the Rutz Huts and um, the White Manas and things like that. So, so Rutz Hut opened in 1929, right? So um, the guy's name was uh, Royal Abe Rutt, and he opened it in 1929, and it was basically just like a a working class, you know, blue, real blue collar. Um, uh, place and the hot dogs for Rutz Hut were originally made down the road. At, I keep the name is slipping me, but at a place that made hot dogs. And even when that place closed down, Rutz Hut switched to using Thumans, which is also based in New Jersey. They're also made in New Jersey, right? So the, those types of places where where there are they're known for like one or two things, but there's also 170 other things on their menu. I mean, do you know about the roast duck at Rutz Hut? <laughs> just learned about it. Just learned yeah, about so it. I was just down there the so other day. I brought my son and we're both oh. vegetarians. So I was a little bummed. And then I realized they got a killer breakfast sandwich. You can get an egg and cheese sandwich any time of day. Get the kid. Their grilled cheese, amazing. Dude, and the cheese I have a friend fries. who gets a grilled cheese every time he goes there. Yeah. No, everything <laughs> there is good. And it that is what... To me, like when I think of New Jersey food, like 
that's, I grew up eating it, right? My parents are, my dad's from Lynnhurst and my mom is from North Arlington. So like, I'm very lucky. I didn't have to like learn all this stuff when I became a writer. This is stuff that I, and I mean, granted, I was taking more of an interest in it because it's what I've always loved, but you know, I have years of just like, not like, like people passing down, you know, like knowledge to me about these places. And then even in Clifton, there's down the road, there's, there's hot girl. Right. So then there's, the, then there's the, the new corral and these are all hot dog places. Right. But that style of deep fried hot dog, which Jimmy Buffs also does, which Dickie D's in Newark also does, even though it's an Italian hot dog, it's a little different. That's uniquely New Jersey. So that is something that, that is, even if it didn't originate here, which I think it did, that is something that made its name here. And those types of blue collar joints, that's what New Jersey food scene is, is all about. Out of all the towns that are known as food hubs in New Jersey, mm-hmm. which would you say is the most overrated and why is it Morristown? <laughs> I say this as someone who lives right next to Morristown. Um, uh, Morristown, Morristown has a similar thing to what um, Hoboken has where 10 years ago they were like the epitome of of culinary excellence in New Jersey and Montclair, but Montclair stayed a little more relevant. Um, and then they sort of having, I would say Hoboken's worse than Morristown personally, but um, I mean, Morristown has one of the best yeah. pizzerias in the state right now. So I mean, Coniglio's yeah. is no joke, dude. I saw you put <laughs> And Nino is an awesome guy. Uh, Nino, Nino, Nino will call me on the phone and we'll talk for like an hour dude. about pizza. <laughs> Peter, being that you've, uh, yeah, he's called me on the phone too about weird shit. Guy can talk. <laughs> Dude, he can go. I was just going to say, being that you've had a restaurant experience with Don Finelli, can you imagine what happens the day that Don meets Nino Caniglio? Oh, oh, I mean, geez, it's going to be. Time will stop. Oh, the space time continuum will stop because that. Some Loki shit. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be the first one to end that conversation? <laughs> Honestly. This is gonna. Who's gonna end that conversation? It's gonna be a goddamn like twenty four hour. Yeah, all the stories I hear, I'm I'm already just. Oh, dude, I'm taking. I don't know how to wrap my head around this whole fucking thing. Of course it does. I kid about Morristown. Morristown's got some great stuff. We moved out to this neighborhood, and we were really psyched because I I always knew like oh that's the hub for Morris County, and my wife has never lived in Jersey, so I was like okay we can still get brunch there. You can st- you know like ease out of the Brooklyn life, and you can. But I do feel like some of their stuff's overblown and and uh, and whatnot. But you know what I also think? I also think it, part of it is because you live out here, you start to realize Morristown has some good stuff, but so do so does Denville. Denville's got great places, and yeah. so does Booton, and so does if you want to go fancier, so does Madison and Summit and Chatham, like. Part of Morristown being overblown is because there's actually like there's more fastballs being thrown in some of these Morris County towns that maybe undercut Morristown a little bit. Not that Morristown is bad, but Morristown you think is going to be a hub. And it's kind of, it's so funny that you instantly brought up Hoboken because when I have clowned on Morristown, I've said it kind of feels like baby Hoboken. It totally is. I mean, Jersey City has surpassed Hoboken and then mm -hmm. some. Like, it's, I know it's like Maxwell's closed, and now they uh, Hoboken's like living with the curse of Maxwell's being gone. Um, there are I don't know if you've ever been to Common Law in Milburn, but um, that's one of the best restaurants in the state. And uh, the chef Aaron Ryan um, is opening a restaurant in Hoboken, so we're very excited for that because it's like you know finally like Hoboken's going to maybe get this burst of 
of um i mean there are great restaurants in hoboken like don't get me wrong like i'm not here to say that there are there's antique bar and bakery well, it's there's also, Western, yeah the cliche culturally is it's a lot of, a lot of yups. it's a lot of uh finance people who aren't really interested in being part of the fabric of new jersey and it's a lot of probably people who are either college age or just out of college who are kind of easing their way into the city life it's, but it's a lot of people who are fundamentally distracted from being part of the fabric of new jersey it's, is the cliche it's finance bros like you said who their instagram bio or their tinder bio or whatever says new york right they they yeah. want to yeah. so fucking badly live in new york <laughs> and that pisses me off more than anything i mean oh. i'm so passionate but, about new jersey it, so it's like <laughs> let's be let's be clear though like even in saying that hoboken kind of underwhelms as the city's contribution like this is still a place that has O Bagel and Del Fiore's and oh, totally. like nine other places that would be great by the standards of any other state. You know about I'd walk from California to get some moots from fucking you know like I'll I'll go I'll walk right now because that is that is melt in your mouth moots that you can only get there. Yeah. So. Do you know about Piccolo's? Just just throwing that out there. In Hoboken? What's up with Piccolo's? You know about Piccolo's? Piccolo's? Don, do you know about Piccolo's in Hoboken? Yes. Mm-hmm. This is, yep. I, this so is Piccolo's right. is a cheesesteak shop, but it's not a Philly cheesesteak shop. It is a steak sandwich cheese. I don't know if that makes sense, mm-hmm. but like, I, I love cheesesteaks. So like, uh, cheesesteak is my favorite sandwich. Um, we could talk about that too, how the best one I've ever had is in New Jersey. I also want to hear about Collingswood. Okay, don't think no, I okay. forgot because we don't have enough South I don't Jersey know how long conversation. You, I could go for you said e- you could talk about an hour? Ever. Oh, dude. <laughs> we can go. I want to hear about all. I want to hear about Piccolo's. I do need to know why you said I could talk about Collingswood <laughs> for an hour because anyone who can stake that claim is on the right podcast. But Piccolo's is a, it opened in 1946. It's either 46 or 56. I know there's a six in it. But, um, it's another one of those New Jersey spots. It's it's a it's an institution. It's got like this really cool, like dope signage, and it's like it is a little snapshot. It's one storefront of what old Hoboken is, and then it's surrounded by all of these yuppie buildings. And this one is one floor. It sticks out like a sore thumb, and they serve um their version of a cheesesteak, which is a a thicker piece of ribeye rather than shaved thin. So it's probably about, you know, a quarter inch, which for a cheesesteak is thick and it's, it's char grilled. And then it's served open faced with just two slices of American cheese, just melted on top. And then there's like, um, another thing that like, you know, you're in New Jersey or I mean, every, you know, every cultural hub, Chicago, New York has places like this that have like jars on the table of just like miscellaneous, like homemade things. Like at Rut's Hut, it's the relish and the mustard at Piccolo's it's peppers. So um, there's just these jars and you put them on. And then the other thing they do is they have like a soup, like, like every day, like a soup of the day. So it'll be like pasta, but it's, it's like real, like New Jersey, like Ginzo soup, like, like mm-hmm. pasta fazool and like pastina and like stuff like that. It's so cool. It's so sick. And um, I can't believe we just dropped Ginzo here with two grinning, uh, <laughs> grinning people. If I said it. It would you both wouldn't be grinning. <laughs> no, <he's>, Sorry, <laughs> you you are, you are you have bequeathed into the Ginzo conversation. Get at this point. I'll just keep my mouth shut, but I have to point out. Pro- I probably drop Ginzo at least once every time we talk. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> talk to me about Collingswood. Talk to me about Collingswood. So Collingswood has three of the best restaurants in the entire state. Wow! In Collingswood, Collingswood New Jersey, and um, they are. So for, for those of you who don't know, because I literally didn't know where Collingswood was until about a year and a half ago. 
Um, Collinswood is right outside of Camden, Philly. Um, it's a up, it's an up middle upper class, you know, town, dense suburbs, uh, you know, really cool town. And, uh, they have a lot of great food and, um, there's three restaurants there. There's June. Oh, the other thing about Collinswood, it's a dry town. So much like, uh, much mm. like East Rutherford or Rutherford's a dry town. I forget which one. I always forget. Uh, Collinswood, none of their restaurants have liquor license. So there's June which is an upscale um, French restaurant. This is one of those restaurants where I don't know if they have an official dress code, but this is a place where like, I will present myself a little nicer to go to, you know, um, that's chef Richard Cusack and um, really upscale French restaurant. They do their um, canard and la, a la presse, which is a super, super old school French table side presentation where basically they marinate a whole duck, in this case, a Muscovy duck, in red wine, and then they oven sear it, they present it to you. And then mm. all table side, they carve it, they finish the cooking through on the breast to whatever your desired temperature is, and then they put the carcass in this stainless steel contraption that has a hand crank on it. And they didn't. I'm, I'm looking at it right yeah, now. Yeah, June didn't invent this. This is like an old school <laughs> French thing. But there's probably only what like five restaurants in the U.S. that have it. I know Danielle, uh, Danielle Balou's restaurant in New York City does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, what they do is they load the carcass after it's carved into this press. Oh, they let Jesus. you do it too. They they say, "Oh, do you want to you want to do it?" And uh, you crank it. Don does. Don wants to do it. I'm, I'm just looking at this. So you get the au jus from it or something? What does it happen? They, Wait, so what they it's, it's actually the original translation is um, duck in blood sauce. So they, they crank it until the <laughs> until you're literally hearing like like cracks and it extracts <laughs> all the smile of- you both have on your faces. As a vegetarian, I'm not even like a very morally driven vegetarian. This is a horrifying nightmare to me. Yeah, so it's not for everybody, but what the, and then what they do? <laughs> then what they do is they um they make a sauce from it and they they flambe it table side in a beautiful so copper good. pot and they put cognac in it and cream, and then they serve the duck breast to you with uh, whatever the seasonal accompaniment is, and uh, they spoon the sauce over, and it's it's amazing. And um, I wrote an article about it called Press Duck. Um, where to get it in New or the history of pressed duck and where to get it in New Jersey. Uh, it's the only place in New Jersey that does it. And it's one of less than 10 in the U S that has the actual contraption to do it. So June has an a la carte menu, um, beyond that too. But if you're someone who is not a vegetarian and uh, likes duck and you like, you know, to eat, then I highly recommend, um, doing that. It's, it's a, for two people, it's $200, which isn't cheap, but for that style of food, that is- Grind a duck down to dust? That's a, that's that, not a cheap, that's not cheap. And, and That's an experience, man. You'll never, you won't find a, a, a pressed duck dinner for less than $200 anywhere. And you get the, they give you the legs confit for the first course, and then you get crepe Suzette um, for the dessert, which is another thing that's lit on fire. So you get two things lit on fire. Literally 66% <laughs> of the meal is lit on fire. Uh, <laughs> which is awesome. That's just one of the places in college. Right? Yes. So, so that's June. And then there's, um, Hearthside, which is, uh, chef, um, Dominic Paperno's restaurant and, um, Hearthside revolves around an open fire hearth, um, where I would say probably like 75 to 90% of the menu items touch this open fire in some way. 
And um, holy shit, yeah, I'm looking at it right Hearthside's now. Hearthside's a little more of your <laughs> like um, when you think of like a like a we were talking about Robbie's restaurants or Dave Vienna's restaurants. Um, Hearthside's a little more that sphere. It's very new school. It's very um, Dominic's an amazing chef. All these guys, by the way, are you know Richard Cusack of June, Dominic Perno. They're Philly guys. You know they worked in Philly, um, and yeah it's just a really great restaurant and they used to do to- full a la carte and now they do a um they do a tasting um or like a prefix and uh they also are adapted to a four-day work week which is really cool so they um they change their whole concept around to basically model it after where all of their employees work every day of the week but it's only a four-day work week which is dope so they got a three-day weekend it's very progressive and very cool and um the, the restaurant is on the corner of um, Haddon Ave and whatever the side street is, and it's all glass on the sides. It's just a really like dope, dope vibe. And um, then the third restaurant, which is probably, this isn't to say it's better than the other three, but just as an Italian, it's probably my favorite of the three. Um, Hearthside has a lot of Italian food too. Dominic Paperno is obviously very Italian. Um, but the third restaurant is called Zeppoli and Zeppoli is, of course, Zeppoli is, I don't even know how to explain Zeppoli. It's, it's in this tiny little (laughs) intimate room. It's super dark. Um, you could tell it wasn't a restaurant before it was probably a cafe. If I had to guess, cause there's like a counter where, and the entire kitchen, it's like a West village joint. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. No, literally I, I worked at a restaurant in New York called Lupa and this is like smaller than that. And that was a really mm. small West village restaurant. And, um, the entire kitchen is behind this counter that you could tell was like a coffee counter or something. And it's just the chef, Joey Baldino is, is the man and it's um a lot of sicilian already love them yeah it's a lot of sicilian cooking and uh, this this menu is like uh, my wet dream i mean jesus fucking christ and yeah no me too and and the one thing about zeppeli that's really cool is that um obviously as like a as like a a food guy um and someone who like cares about like farming and stuff like that like I'm all about farm to table, obviously, but Zeppeli does this thing where they're not, they don't change their, like, like a lot of restaurants now, you know, the higher end restaurants or the, the good restaurants, they change their menu four or five times a year to, to coincide with the seasons. Zeppeli has their staple dishes and those are their staple dishes and, and they don't change. I, yeah. They have a braised rabbit there that is unreal. Um, they have a chicken there that's unreal. I'm well, fun fact about me. I, I, if you know me, I never shut the fuck up about this, but um, I think chicken is like, the best meat ever and for a while it was like considered like the boring meat but a lot of chefs will agree with me that if if even a chicken breast which is considered the most boring boring cut of meat on the market if a chicken breast is cooked by a chef who knows what he's doing or just any chicken a whole chicken a half chicken whatever there's nothing better than it and um when i went to zeppeli i had you know homemade sausage i had um um you know head on shrimp and it's a place where, like you said, you don't feel I'm sitting there, you know, sucking shrimp heads. Like, no one cares, you know, that yep. they, they're just happy that you're there. And then they have, they give you the strafoli for dessert, you know, the honey oh. balls with the rainbow sprinkles okay. uh, as like a, as just like a thank you, like not even there's dessert too. Yeah. But, um, Joey also has a place in, I want to say that's Poulian too. Joey also has a place like a thing, in, um, in South Philly, which is the coolest place I've ever been to in my life. And it's called Politi social club. 
And um, basically, it's a converted Italian-American social club that was in his family for years. Um, it used to be back in the day when it opened in like the 20s. It used to be that um, you can only be a member if you were from this one small town in Italy. Um, and you had to be a male. You know, it was it was like a real deal Italian-American social club. And basically, it's been some more or less dormant since the 80s. And a couple of years ago, I think in 20, I want to say 2016, but I could be wrong about that. Um, Joey, who had Zeppeli in Collingswood, basically what bought it off his uncle who owned it and it wasn't doing anything. And he, he converted it into a restaurant in the best possible way that you can convert a relic like that. So it's got the original checkerboard floors. It's got the cigarette machine, the original cigarette machine. It's got the, the it's cash only the mechanical uh, cash register with like the, like cartoon ass buttons on it. Um, The tables have that like, that like metal ridging along the side, you feel like you're in like a Knights of Columbus or, or like um, something like that. Like, yes. like one of those places and um, glitter, like satin glitter bar stools. So cool. And you have to be a member to go. Um, you have to have a little membership card to go. It's invite only. Um, they, they do sell memberships every now and then, but for the most part, it's invite only. And um, I got to I got to make my way yeah, to the Zeppelin, man. Just, it, my, my instinct is he's, he's got poly and roots because a lot of the stuff I grew up eating and this is what my family was cooking, especially like he's, he's very, he's very Sicilian. Um, but at, at Polisi, they do he's Sicilian. Yeah. Just, yeah. I'm just looking at some of the stuff, even like the Cacio Cavallo and the fucking yeah. Rob's and all, all the, the style of pots. At, at Polisi, they do a spaghetti with crabs. That is like, mm. Mm. it's like unreal Shit. and they do a sausage bread that it's or a pepperoni bread sorry that's like yes tastes exactly like my grandfather's did um they even this was the coolest part they even had a italian woman who just tended to every table she wasn't the the sole server or anything she was just she she floated around on the floor and she put her hand on my back and talked to me like I was her grandchild. And I was like sitting back, like this is the greatest meal of my entire life. So that's, that's really cool. But that's from it, stems, house, man. it stems that's from Collingswood. It stems from Collingswood and it's, it's literally 15 minutes away from Collingswood. And, uh, um, those three- that's welcome to New Jersey's the world, but we refer to Philly as it's 15 minutes from Collingswood. Exactly. That's how, that's how we refer to Philadelphia. No, but I went on oh, the, the Polizzi rant because of Baldino's course, restaurant in Zeppeli in Collingswood. Now, I do want to make sure. And I- New Jersey's so new, unique. I was going to say just just to just to follow up, New Jersey's so unique because like also we're right outside New York City and Phil- we're like outside like two huge cities where people can then, you know, kind of do their own thing in New Jersey, where, where it's like a lot of other states and stuff like that. They're fucking huge. They're not necessarily outside two major cities that are where people culinarily go to kind of, you know, get their chops down. So we're also like beneficial of, of that. Uh, not in like the high end, yeah. you know, I think just like a lot of people are coming from there, going back to New Jersey, kind of bringing what they know and kind of doing their spin mm-hmm. on it. So I think we're on both sides. Indeed. On both sides of the state, we're kind of lucky in that regard. I did want totally Peter to talk a little bit about your writing style because there's a lot of food writing out there. There's a lot of Jersey focused food writing. You're also competing with Instagram and TikTok <sighs> Don't these days as far as like food attention, which I can imagine is a pain <laughs> in your ass. But you mentioned before that you talk about this restaurant in Collingswood and you go, well, let's do it through the lens of the history of this duck dish and how mm-hmm. 
there's only 10 places in the state that do it in the real authentic way. And one of them happens to be in Jersey. That's like an incredible entry point. Another article of yours, you actually sent it to me and I was laughing because I've already read it of uh, this really amazing article about how a lot of people might not understand that the mafia took over cheese mm-hmm. distribution in the United States. Yeah, at that point. it's insane. Uh, very cool. And you might. <laughs> I mean, it's not like to realize uh, how many. It's not actually cool. Was but, it is cool. Like, <laughs> but also, I was like, but yeah, I do this feel, checks out. <laughs> I I do feel your philosophy in that, in the sense of oh, you're carving out lanes and entry points into some of these food conversations that other people haven't thought of yet. Because you know, you also have your top 40 pizzerias in New Jersey, which is like, if you're going to write about food in Jersey, yeah, you better know, you better have a conversation about pizza all over Mm -hmm. every region of the state, or how can you even be doing this professionally? But then to balance that with, hey, also think about this, like literally Al Capone has a lot to do with the flavors you eat in Italian restaurants because he helped overtake dairy distribution via the mafia. It's, it's, I would imagine very cool and very fun, but I can also see that you have to put in the work on that because every asshole with a phone right now can just wander around and throw it up on TikTok and do it in a way that's a little bit more of the traditional, like, hey, here's a place, here's what they serve. So I just want to say I really appreciate the creativity, some of these entry points into the actual conversations you're finding too. Thank you. So um, I always I always tell people that I'm an okay writer, but I'm I know a lot about food. I'm an okay writer, but I'm an excellent like food mind or whatever you want to say. Um, like, I don't have a journalism degree. Uh, I'm a I'm a cook first and then a writer. Whereas usually it's it's you know you're a writer first and you like food. Um, food is my life. Like it's not it's not something that I fell into. It's it's been my whole life. Um, even, I was so picky as a kid, but even when I was so picky, I was obsessed with, you know, Emerald and like all these things. So like, it's just always been there. So I think I just look at it in a very um, unique way. And and when I, so those stories I love, you know, like I love diving into the history of, um, I'm a dude, so I love history, right? Isn't that like the stereotype? <laughs> but like, um, but also when I write about a restaurant, you know, a present day restaurant and I go and talk to the chef, which isn't, sometimes I just write about the meal, but if I go to sit down and talk to the chef, um, I don't bring questions. I don't bring anything like that. I just talk to them and, um, I, I make sure a lot of them, a lot of the New Jersey chefs anyway, know about my background and whatnot. But, um, if they don't, I try to make them aware of it. Not because I'm like, I, not because I think it makes me like better or anything, but like, I just want them to know that they can talk to me. Like I'm someone who works in their restaurant and not like, they don't have to explain to me all, they don't have to waste their time explaining to me these like cooking terms and stuff. They can just say it to me and I'll waste my time making sure it's decipherable to the reader. So I try to make my writing in a way that people who know a lot about food really enjoy it. And people who know nothing about food really enjoy it. There's no barriers when you're talking to chefs, right? Like, whereas a lot of people, there's some sort of barrier that's put up maybe that they have to kind of, kind of skate around some issues or maybe leave out something like there's no time wasted to explain shit. It's more like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Less this is what I'm doing. Mm. So you could probably have an advantage there, which I could see is, you know, translates to the writing too, which is cool. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's any, um, I feel like this is a little bit, I feel stupid asking this on the, on the heels of saying that you find very innovative ways in, and I'm going to ask a very cliche question, but one of the things that astounds me is I've been a Jersey obsessive 
since I was a kid, you know, pretty much for me, when I found Weird New Jersey Magazine when I was 15 or 16 years old, when it was just coming up from being an underground thing. And then I wound up working for them, driving all over the state and just really realizing like, I've spent my whole life being trained to think that we're the whipping boy, but I fucking love this place and I love these people. Mm -hmm. You know, I love Jersey people. Still to this day, I'm amazed that like our friend Andrea gets involved in the show to represent South Jersey and starts talking to me about, have you ever had a Panzerati? What the fuck are you talking about? Franco's place. Growing up in Essex County, I've never heard of a Panzerati, you know, like Boost. Uh, Boost is a drink that only exists in a small, not even all of South Jersey knows about Boost. It's like a tiny section of Burlington County, mostly I understand. And then you start to realize like, I am aware that Union City is known for Cuban food, but I've never gone and dived in. Mm-hmm. My understanding is I think Cliffside Park is known for, if I remember right, Turkish food. I'm not, like a whole I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know the answer one way or another. Uh, Union, Point Union being, City has more Cubans than Havana. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's any, uh, any swirling, like any, whether it's, whether it's the fact that I never knew about Panzerati's and that people who grew up in Panzerati country probably don't know what a Texas mm-hmm. wiener is, right? Which has nothing Whereas to do with Texas. Do. Of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. And an Italian hot dog has very little to do with Italy. Like, are there other things out there floating around, whether it's items you want to shine a light on, whether it's ethnic communities that are building food hotspots? Are, are there things that you're seeing where you're like, you know what people haven't caught on to yet that, are are worth shouting out and shining a little spotlight on pizza with mustard mm-hmm. on well, the crust. <laughs> yeah, the- <laughs> oh yeah. Do we know about that? The Trenton tomato pie, mustard pie. I, I I'm not a mustard I read, fan. I read but it. I'm yeah, you, you also wrote an amazing article on some of the best pizza or the best pizza in, in New Jersey, and I took a deep dive down there, and I was like, that was the thing that stood out. I was like, yeah, was it pop? What was the place? Must. Um, uh, it's called it's called Papa's Tomato Pies. Papa's, um, yeah, tomato pies. Like yeah, lo- they put I just on this I was like, oh, this is time. brilliant. This is like taking yeah. the flavors of almost like hot dogish stuff and mixing it with pizza. I don't know. That that kind of blew my mind. And it works. I'll t- I'm not a big mustard guy either, but it works. I'll tell you what, it, it does. And um, there's DiLorenzo's tomato pies also. And these are Trenton um, area pizzas that, that, I mean, they don't even call it pizza, but it's not. I it's, just did some shows in Trenton yeah. and I got cool. Papa's beforehand for the it's first time. It's not a Philly tomato pie. Um, very important distinction. It's not a New England tomato pie. Very important distinction. It's its own thing and it's a basically limited to like a 15 mile radius. And then I'm obviously you can't talk about cultural hubs without talking about like Ironbound and Newark and, um, you know, like Iberian and, and Portuguese food. So that's um, something that uh, Dave Vienna of heirloom kitchen taught me a lot about that because his most recent restaurant Lita is an Iberian restaurant. He's Portuguese. He grew up in Elizabeth. So in that area, big Portuguese hub and um, Lita was finally his way to like express to people his like actual roots, the food that he grew up, the food that um, made him fall in love with food. So uh, they're all over New Jersey. And it's, I mean, if I started listening, I would forget, you know, I, I would, I would undoubtedly leave out. Yeah. Places. Is there like a new trend anywhere? Is there like something? Cause we, cause a lot of this is established in old roots and, and we're talking about newer chefs kind of bringing in maybe some mm. Italian roots or Portuguese roots and stuff like that. Is there any other almost like working class or smaller joints that it's stood out to you maybe in Edison or something like that? And, and cause I, I don't know if we've ever been known for 
like when I grew up, it was just like the local Chinese joint down the block. That's where you'd go yeah. and grab food one night. I don't know. There's such amazing, I think it's the best <clears throat> Szechuan food and Hunan, like out here in the San Gabriel Valley. I always tell people if you're going to come visit, we're going to San Gabriel Valley. I go, we make mm-hmm. my buddy writes for kind of like a food blog and we just go to new joints with him. I bring the whole family. My daughter eats this stuff. We're in like, the craziest strip molliest random joints that have some of the best food. Is there any like newer, like kind of even Asian influenced or Asian places I'm trying to think of? I have an answer to this. Okay. I have an answer. If I may please. be so bold and Peter, then I want to pass the ball to you. Cause well, I'm drawing a blank. So well, please. Yeah. no, but it, it's kind of a hybrid answer, which is that it's not new, but the dialogue is new. I will say this. We grew up in North Jersey and we all know that, being raised in places like River Edge, West Orange, and Cedar Grove, you start to hear, okay, if you're going to Newark, you're going for the airport or your parents are bringing you to a specific place they grew up. Mm-hmm. Patterson felt even more closed off in a lot of yeah. ways. And Patterson is wild right now because, I mean, the state took over the police force. There's anti-violence activists that have been killed by police in the last year. Like, mm-hmm. it's really crazy politically. But I have noticed that the food dialogue around Patterson is coming to life in a way that I don't remember seeing. And I think we would all agree, very often, conversations about food are the things that, you know, the cynic says gentrify, the optimist says starts bringing money into areas that need the money. And I've started to notice that there's conversations around Patterson and a number of different, primarily Middle Eastern communities in Patterson and how the food is fucking great and authentic and untouchable. I have noticed that myself as an outsider. I don't know if you would agree with that, Peter. So a hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the thing that I don't even, I don't want to say turns around an area because to the people that live there, that's, it's never not been turned around. You know, it's, this is their home, but to the the people that are maybe skeptic, like, um, like skeptical to go to a, you know, an area that's deemed like a bad area or, or whatever, for lack of a better term, the thing that will convince them to go is always food right asbury park right yeah well asbury park's a perfect example it's music it's music and food that's what gets people to go places and then i mean you could talk about like um i mean like my parents are probably a little younger than, than your parents but i mean that entire blanket of generation they're very like uh you know if i tell my dad i'm going to a restaurant in newark he's oh you know be careful and it's you know it's nothing against him it's just you know how they they you know, it's, it's ingrained. It's the knee jerk reaction of but a then certain it's generation. It's also hypocritical because then there are, there are restaurants to our parents that are in these, you know, quote unquote bad areas that they will go to because they've been going to them forever. Right. right? So that's like the, you know, the, the, the Belmont, like, like Belmont Tavern and like places like that. Like they're not in like the best areas or, or whatever, but people will travel there. And those are what puts it. That's what helps to lighten those places to, um, to other people and to make them more accessible and, and food is like a gathering thing, like yeah. place. Mm-hmm. You can feel it in Newark. You can feel that the dialogue around Newark is changing. And as a North Jersey guy, you can feel this very strange dichotomy of, I mean, I mean, when your police force gets taken over, yeah, something's up, you know, like times are tough and in pattern, like my heart goes out to the citizens of Patterson mm-hmm. that they're dealing with that. But at the very same time as all of that, you're starting to read 
I mentioned before, this place, Dr. Fruit, it's insane. It's insane. They make pancakes. I've never, I've never been Dude, there or heard of it. They throw fresh fruit and then they'll like chop up a bunch of Kit Kats, throw some condensed milk and wrap it all up in a crepe. It's fucking good. And you'll read about places where it's like, hey, here's where every Middle Eastern restaurant in North Jersey gets their bread is this one bakery mm. in Patterson. And you're starting to see a lot of chatter about Patterson as a food hub. Which rightfully which so. It's a compared it's a cultural hub. I mean, Bengali food, all this all this different kind of um, food that people are so closed off to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I literally grew up a five minute drive from Patterson. And I could count on one hand the amount of times that I actually was in Patterson until I was like 18, you know, like I grew up so close to it, but it's almost like there's just like, right. this is yeah. this hard wall, right. That you don't pass. It's like, Oh, you can drive. I think a lot of our, a lot of our folks tried to get out of certain, like dad grew up in, exactly. my mom grew up in Jersey city. My dad grew up mm-hmm. in union city. So like they're there, you know, and there's, son's daughters are immigrants so it's like their whole thing was to kind of get out of that urban life to go into the burbs and that urban life was scary and dangerous but it made them who they were so it's this complete conflict of you know this is what made me tough this is what made me the person i am but also i don't want to go back there kind of thing but i'll go back there because there's that one restaurant we like yeah but like you were saying but so i think i think the how that trickled down to us was like, we didn't go, my grandparents still, you know, I went to Jersey city almost every weekend, but there was a sense of like, stay by us. Yeah. This place is dangerous. And it's, there's probably racial tones in that. There's all sorts of shit that go into that. So uh, not probably definitely. So there's, there's this kind of like fine line of like, we didn't get to experience some of that stuff because well, some places were legit fucking dangerous that's like one thing. Like, it's not like they weren't necessarily making up and I'm sure it was overblown in certain areas, but it does close us off to certain things. And truly there is nothing that will bring you back to an area besides, you know, like food, I would say music probably. Yeah. So I think that's what what we got this. We kind of grew up in the areas that we grew up in because maybe our families were trying to kind of get out of some of the areas that they grew up in and then closed us off to some of the, some of the real authentic shit that they were going. There's also North Jersey's like super, there is a, there's strong Italian roots there too. So sometimes there's a closed mindedness. Like you, we know, like even maybe get even your folks, but like, there's a closed mindedness. I'm like, well, why the fuck would we eat any other food? And when they do eat like really good other, like other ethnic, uh, other ethnic food, like it's like their mind is just completely blown that like other cultures can cook. Well. <laughs> like They're just like, we went to this place and it's, holy shit. Yeah. The fucking chicken's falling off the bone. And I was like, I think they just know how to cook, you know, like, and it's like, there's a couple different spices. It's like, everything's kind of the same roots in a sense. They're just yeah. maybe different techniques and different spices. I was like, what the fuck, man? And kind of, it's funny because in kind of the opposite sense, <laughs> I was making, I was making escarole and bean soup last week and, um, got old baby. And I live with my, I live with uh, three roommates and, uh, my grandma calls me up on the phone, Italian, and she goes, what are you doing? You know, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I'm making us scroll and bean. And she goes, your roommates eat that? She goes, oh, my God. I was like, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> fucking soup. Like, what? Like, it's not like this, like, 
it's not this like the thing most that humble of ingredients that is around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she was like amazed. She was like, and one of my roommates is Italian too. So like, it's not even like, she's like, I don't know. She was like amazed. And it's, yeah, it's the same thing, yeah. but opposite. Like their mind is blown by, you know, something that mm-hmm. is. That, that, that's so uniquely different. Like she got all beans. I grew up eating maybe once a week. So it was, it was such a part of how I grew up. But yeah, I could see my folks. If my, if, one of my friends came over. They're like, "Oh, we won't make this shit at all." God forbid, yeah. it has some sand in it too, because it's always a little fucking sandy. So it's like, a little dirty. We're yeah. not going to soak it for that long. You know, this thing is full of fucking sand. They're like, "We only got ten minutes to soak this thing. You need to have sand in it." And you're like, "All right." Well, part of the charm of shkadol and beans growing up is like a little grit. Uh, so they were like, "But we're not serving that to anybody." You know, it's like their idea of like if a, some if a guest came over sometimes that was a little out or a new girlfriend that was maybe a little. Uh, pasty uh, would be like, all right, what can we make that up? It's like, no, cook your food. It's fucking amazing. Like, what are you nuts? Nah, they won't like linguine and clams. They're not going to do that. (laughs) Like, no, do that. It's delicious. What are you talking about? Can't thank you enough. I mean, we're, we're past the hour mark, so we've got to wrap it up at some point, but clearly I have one more question. That's very important. Yeah. One more question. Don Finelli is very important. Yeah. Well, we're going out. My brother-in-law wanted me to ask, like, where should we go for dinner now in Bergen County if we're going to go this year? And to maybe pick your brain if there's like, you know, top three places or anything that you're that's standing out. I'm happy to go back to any of Robbie's places. Yeah. But uh, if there's if there's a if there's a night out, you want to go to a little bit of a nicer joint. I don't know. I'll, I'll, we got you here. Might as well ask. Yeah. Uh, Fiorentini in Rutherford. On um, okay. Park F, it's uh, write, it, write it down. F I O R E N T I N I. Chef Antonio yeah. De Iso and his wife Brenda. They're straight from Florence, um, and it's like my dad works around the fucking corner from this place, so I've definitely heard of it. Yeah, it's like top five restaurant in New Jersey right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, have I eaten? See, here's I what I love about here. Here's what I love about you, though, Pete. Here's what I love is that you can just be like, boom, Bergen County. Here's the name of the restaurant. Here's the chef. Here's where they're from. You've also written an article about you who's ties to New Jersey. And that's, <laughs> those are, that's a skill set. Yeah. That's a skill set to be able to do both at once. Um, yeah. You who real New Jersey staple fuel Fiorentini's in Bergen County. Any vegetarian, any vegetarian food. They'll make you whatever you want. Well, not they won't make you whatever you want, but if you're a vegetarian, yes, there's. I mean, I think there's literally a vegetarian dish on I mean, the menu always. I was like an like an actual entree oh, too. I, mean, I know, oh, I know that like people will say they have vegetarian options, and it's like, oh well, we have a salad, uh, we have like you know this <laughs> roast squash appetizer, and it's like, no, I want an entree. Um, oh man, Italian Italian places can generally yeah. bring the heat. Also, my buddy Mike D. Oh, they got monkfish on the on the menu. I'm in. I'm already in. Dude, Mike D Give told me, me to go to Belmont fish, Tavern. Baby. He was like, you got to ask I, for the Jamba. They don't put it on the on menu, that. but get the Jamba. The old Jumbo. I never heard of Jamba. And then I was talking to Mike D. I go, I didn't, how do you say it? I always get yelled at for saying it. Jumbo? Jumbo. Yeah, that's how we, that's how we, that's how we dude, said it growing up. And then I'm figuring out what Jumbo is for the first time in my Irish American life. And I realize Jimmy Buffs is just a hot dog with that family's Jumbo on top. Yeah, no. Oh, j- uh, that's thing, what an baby. Italian hot dog is. Well, that's that's yeah. what. That's what New Jersey food is. It's like you take something, <laughs> um, you take something American, like a hot dog, which I guess isn't even American in in nature. It's like German, um, and then you add whatever it is that you. I mean, you even see this in Italian restaurants with a lot of Mexican cooks in the kitchen, where they start adding their own 
you know, mm-hmm. their own cuisine and, and flavors to dishes that exist here. So that's just like what makes this and any, any, you know, cultural hobby, New York, Chicago, LA, any place like that. Um, that's what makes even all over the world too. You're going to see like some randos in immigrant in- influence and in- into their local cuisine all over the world, even if it's a specific type of bread or something like that, yeah. they'll throw it in there. Now I'm going to ask you to one final question mm-hmm. and, Peter, I don't know if you've listened to any of Don and I, our specific episodes of the show before. Mm-hmm. But if you have, this might make sense. But let's say you two are hanging out. <laughs> let's say you happen to come across each other. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe one of you is like a farm boy on a planet with two sons, and the other is a ne'er-do-well spice freighter pilot who runs smuggling operations with your Wookiee friend and you team up, there's a princess involved, you blow up a Death Star, but at the end of this epic thing where you've taken down an empire, you of course wind up at the River Edge Diner. (laughs) Just two pals. What is your order after a really long, hard day when you sit down at Don's favorite diner, the River Edge Diner? So when I go to a diner, I like rotate between, between things. Um, so probably disco fries and a Taylor ham and cheese. I hate eggs. Fun fact about me. So no egg, just Taylor ham and cheese wow. um, and disco fries. And then I will put the disco fries onto um, the sandwich. But th- the other side of me for that is that diners Beautiful. have amazing full entrees and no one understands that. Everyone thinks they have to get breakfast or like disco fries you go to a diner. You, you're giving my answer. You go to a diner. You order like a I'm roast, my answer, a baby. roast chicken or roast beef or a meatloaf dinner or something, and it's going to be like one of the best fucking ones you've ever had. And um, anything that's what makes diners so good, right? Is everything they make is good. So if roast you want meatloaf, dinner, baby, with, I've given yeah, it before. Yeah, if you want, yeah, if you want to have a Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner in the middle of July, <laughs> the only place to go is the diner. I mean, that's that's sadly it used to and be at four thirty in the morning. It's now most good. of them, it's not at four thirty in the morning anymore. Don't. I've been thinking about how to put together an article that's like that's like about that. Like how mm-hmm. is it staffing? I hear it's mostly staffing issues. Right? It has to be. Um, I mean, it all it all it's mo- started like a with post eleven p.m. Meal. Yeah, it all started with COVID. Really, I mean, there are still. I think diners that do COVID meant they had to shut down. And then well, I think a lot I, of people started analyzing yeah, their bottom think, lines and going, why are we open at three, 4am? We're not making any money. I think that's what it is. A lot of them looked, you know, it, it was just more expensive to keep the lights on. Um, but I mean, oh, dude, I miss like, I miss being hungry at like 11 PM and just not even having to look if I'm no matter where I am, I don't even have to look up the diner, right? I just dr- look up Google, like I Google diner and just drive to the closest one. Cause you know, it's going to be open and I, and you can't say yeah. this anymore, but I used to tell people, you know, people from uh, like my, like up at school in New York state or something. Oh, we have this great diner, you know, back in you know, Ohio where I'm from. Oh, they're open oh, till 11. Don't. I go, that's not a fucking <laughs> diner open till 11. Like what? Like, if you can't go there, twenty four hours. They never shut the lights up. But now yeah. you can't say that anymore, right? So yeah. maybe one day, maybe one day. I would love a definitive list of the ones that are of any of the ones that are still twenty four hours because I do feel like it's worth it to try to rally around them and start swinging the business there. Top twenty four. I don't even know where the twenty 24- four. I don't think it is. I've been at tops when it's closed. I know that. Um, 
Not the West Orange one, but the Hackensack chit chat is 24 hours. The West Orange one's not? No, the West Orange one isn't, unless it is now, but it's not um, anymore. But the Hackensack one. My closest diner is the Morristown Diner, which I, I actually want I want to do a piece on them. I don't know if it would be written or podcast. If, I would argue that the Morristown Diner is the most average diner in the entire state of New Jersey, which is not to say that it's bad because there's bad ones. I mean, there's no bad ones. There's, there's, it is the center point of average, which I would actually argue for a diner. On a dude just going to get all the fucking Greeks at your ass, baby. Dude, I kind of feel like if you're the most average diner I've ever been to, you're kind of nailing yeah, you're crushing what it. a diner is. You're doing it right. Like, tops is a special thing, but you can't all be tops. And also, but to be also, like, nothing against tops, but you leave tops spending $100. For two people, like this is nothing yeah. against them because because yeah, be top operates at a quality that is that is far and a, above a lot of diners. Not just, it's hard to even think of their their dinery. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're yeah. kind of like a but it is it, it, it is, is. No, I mean, everything there. Single A. Yeah, everything there is amazing. Morristown still stays open till three a.m. on the weekends, two a.m. on weeknights, though. So I still am like, all right, I love that. Well, that's the new twenty-four hours. That's the new twenty-four hours, right? The open till three. Um, there's nowhere near me that's open till. Even like, I live in Rahway, um, in Clark. There's a place called the White Diamond, and it's like a another like right off the Parkway. Yeah, right? yeah, another exit one thirty-five. Another like New Jersey, you know, like working class, like old like counter diner, and they do like almost like white mana style hamburgers and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's cash only. And the sign to this day still says open 24 seven, but it's of course it's not anymore. And um, I've only lived in Rahway since 2022, but I mean, I could tell you one thing if the white diamond was still open 24 hours um, in Clark, then cause there's a white diamond in Elizabeth too, a weird thing. But um, chit chat diner and Hackensack twenty four hours. Baby. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's what the West Orange chit chat is not twenty four hours. But the Hackensack one is. Hackensack one. But yeah. if if this God Clark you win that one, if this on. Clark White Diamond was open twenty four hours, I would be going there three times a week. Ugh, you know, we got to bring the twenty four hours back. Anyway, what a lovely conversation, and clearly <laughs> we, we got to have you back. We man. could talk in yeah. perpetuity. We didn't, we didn't even talk. We didn't even talk about the pizza, so we'll have to come back. Yeah, I know. I was like, I we know, got, that's exactly I know. what I was going to say. I was like, we got to get you back. We just have to have a pizza episode. I just do need to be clear too. I was talking a little shit about Morristown before. Caniglio's oh. came fucking flying hard out, like raising the bar for that whole town. Caniglio's, I mean, I love your article. You list Star Tavern, which is my old neighborhood and is le- legitimately just a special place and the best. And um, uh, a, no- a number of places that you don't see on all the lists either, though. You dug deep. Star Tavern is a is a cultural phenomenon. And, um, mm-hmm. Chris, I heard you're a I heard you're a GDP fan, and he name drops Star Tavern and oh yeah, many many songs, and that's a, a West Orange legend, GDP. And to me, that's like when someone's like name dropping places I like to eat. It's like this is the fucking coolest thing ever. So yeah, yeah let's man. come back Star and do a pizza for episode, real. Baby. Let's do it. Well, that was the plan. Shit. So <laughs> yeah, we were ostensibly it was like we could talk about your pizza list, but now we're yeah. an hour and twenty three minutes in, and we've talked about ninety five other things. But I'm very happy with how it went. Yeah, and uh, absolutely, and your pizza list too. I have to say, it's the whole state. It's very easy to focus in on North Jersey for a pizza list, but you're it's up and down the shore, yeah. all the way out to South Jersey. Yeah, I still. I still got shit that um really really good list. Oh, you guys only cover North Jersey? Like, <laughs> there's just more people up here. There's more places, you know. So there's more things in South Jersey. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. Like Salem, Gloucester, 
Cumberland counties. There's not many people. <laughs> gotta, if you're writing a food article, you got to send people to where the people are. And the most famous exports like Mike Trout, right? To the Angels. It's like, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I don't mean that to the South Jersey residents. <laughs> It's the reality. Listen, you talked about Collins. You talked about Collins with extensively. It's the best food town in the state. I, I mean that. Wow. I mean that. Wow. More than Montclair. It, it, more than Jersey City. Jersey City might be actually the best, but more than Montclair. Yeah. Collinswood is. Wow. God damn. Shots Montclair's had its, you know, it's got a. Comes and goes. It comes and goes. Yeah. I mean, it'll always be a special. That's what a, makes a it very special. special There's the ebbs and flows. You know, it's coming back. Yeah. Anyway, what a joyous conversation. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. This is great. Hey, everybody. How's it going? This is the voice of super producer and editor Carson, the Colonel, cop, here to wrap up the episode for you. Well, 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 what do you know? A guy who knows the proper usage of the word joint. Amazing and rare, and I just love to hear it. I once had to correct a fellow writer in a class for the improper use of the word joint in reference to a church of all places. A church isn't a joint. A joint is a place where a jukebox isn't out of place. And there has to be space in some dark corner for any amount of menace, be it perceived or otherwise. Anyway, great interview with the boys. Um, You can follow Pete on Instagram at pete.candia on Instagram. That's C-A-N-D-I-A. And I am literally checking the spelling on that as I say it. Oh, well, what do you know? I was right. Ah, the burden of always being right. Hey, I hope you guys dug this as much as I did listening to and editing it. Um... And thank you for digging the podcast. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at New Jersey is the world. You can find us on the web at New Jersey is the world.com. You can find us on patreon.com after searching for New Jersey is the world, or you can find us wherever the heck you find podcasts. Now, the most important part of this outro, I am happy to announce that on Saturday, December 23rd, Christmas Eve, Eve at the ghost Hawk brewing company, 321 River Road in Clifton, there will be a listener meetup slash live show for New Jersey is the World featuring Jersey City's own CR and the Nuns. There is no cover, there is no RSVP, there is just the finest live music and in-house craft beer that this fine state has to offer, and I will be curating and mixing said band. You are in the most capable of hands. Doors are at 6, the music is at 7, and the beer will pour until last call. So I hope to see you all there, and I hope that this holiday weekend has treated you and your family well. Peace to all of you, and I hope to see you all soon, and you will be hearing from us, New Jersey is the world, where New Jersey is the world, even sooner. (laughs) Later, everybody. Wait.